Hello and welcome along to this edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. This is the podcast that shines a light on the hot topics and contemporary thinking emanating from across high-performance sports. To help us to do just that, we bring you thought-provoking conversations with practitioners, senior coaches, athletes and sporting directors, the individuals at the top of their game. My name is Henry Breckenridge. I work in the content team here at Leaders and joining me for this episode is friend, colleague and a regular voice for our existing podcast listeners, John Porch. John, thank you and good morning. Good morning, Henry. How's it going? All good. Thank you, John. On today's agenda is mental health and well-being, an often neglected topic despite the continuing focus on athlete well-being. It's a topic we've delved into at the Leaders Performance Institute, whether that be through our member virtual roundtables or across our content here at the Institute. We often see coaches in football, rugby and beyond, and even though seeing them at the stadium is just a small part of their life in the grand scheme of things, you can see the stress that they're under. That's right, Henry. Whether it's pressure from owners, fans or the media, you can see it etched on their faces and you do wonder, A, if their mental health is suffering or B, why they put themselves through it in the first place. And it's not just in the Premier League, John, but across the coaching spectrum, which is why today we're welcoming our very special guest, Mark Gannon, the CEO of UK Coaching, which aims to be a first port of call for all British coaches. UK Coaching is essentially the team behind the coach. The organisation provides support, tools and guidance to assist and empower all coaches so that they can be more confident, connected and knowledgeable. We'll welcome Mark to the episode in just a moment, and I hope you enjoy it. Mark, welcome to the uh, Leader Studio, and thanks for coming on the podcast. No, no, thank you very much for the invite. We'd like to pick your brains on the topic of mental health and well-being, particularly through a coaching lens. But before we get into that and delve deeply into the subject, could you set the scene for our listeners and tell us a bit about what you do and what UK Coaching do? Okay, so UK Coaching is essentially a coaches organisation, an association. We've got somewhere in the region of 180,000 coaches uh, connected with us now. Uh, We launched probably three, four years ago to be purely looking at coach connection uh, one-to-one, whereas previously we'd worked with a lot of coaching organisations, so the employers or deployers or trainers. But we started to see a bit of a trend where coaches needed more and more support uh, and there was more and more pressure on them, especially sort of high-profile sports. And we decided to set up a service, uh, UK Coaching Club, which is there to support the coach. So just as the coach is there for their athlete or athletes, UK Coaching is there for the coach. In terms of the coaches you're working with, is that multi-sports? Yep, we're we're very proud. We're UK-wide and we look after all sports and all levels of coaches. And I believe we're the only organisation that does that. A broad question just to to follow up on that. In your view, what are the the hallmarks of a a great coach? People focused. I think that the critical thing about coaching, it's not sport related. Coaching is a people craft. And I think once people get their head around that, you know, you have life coaches, you have business coaches. So Coaching is a craft, it's an expertise that you develop over time with training and reflection on what you've done as a coach. And I guess my privilege is to work with an organisation that looks at coaching in the context of physical activity and sport. How long have you been with the organisation at UK Coaching? So I've been with the organisation about six and a half years. It was a very, very different organisation prior. It was called Sports Coach UK, uh, and it predominantly wrote educational material for a lot of the national governing bodies. But we've become much bigger, uh, much wider. So we are UK Coaching for here for the coach, but we also work with anybody that supports coaches. So um, we're making sure that we provide support direct to the individual, but also direct to organisations that are looking to support their coaching workforce. 
So it's a bit of a network kind of feel. It's exactly, it's a community. It's a community of coaches. You're listening to this episode during Mental Health Awareness Week, a week organised by the Mental Health Foundation that attempts to raise awareness and inspire action around mental health. Now in its 21st year, the event has grown to become one of the biggest awareness weeks across the UK and globally. It's an important week and it presents a big opportunity for organisations like UK Coaching to have a significant impact. Before we delve into some of that, Mark, I'd like to kick off by hearing from you on the UK coaching state of play view on the topic. So what's your perception of where we currently are with mental health and well-being, particularly through a coaching lens? Just before I, I answer about the coach, we've done a lot of work in the last three, four years, particularly around the athlete, uh, and understanding that a coach needs to be better skilled, better equipped to understand and see the signs of maybe mental health problems with their athletes. Uh, and I guess that's been the focus over the last three, four years. And we worked with Mind, developed some really great material that's uh, available on our website and through our learning. More recently, though, we've started to see a, an increase in the mental health and well-being of coaches. And we've started to look at, well, what does that look like and how can we help there? Because, as you know, you know, there's pressure on coaches, particularly in, in the public eye, and they are starting to feel that. Um, and we've seen some of that articulated in the press. So what can we do? So we work with a bunch of organisations, professional organisations that sit around us they're there uh, as professional service and um, guidance and advice to any of our members. So we work with professional organisations across finance, legal, well-being, counselling to make sure that we've got access for those coaches should they need it. So Mark, you touched upon the idea there, the notion that athlete well-being has been a focus in recent years. And we've had a number of athletes come forward, the likes of Ben Stokes, Tyson Fury, Lucy Bronze, to name just a handful there who have spoken about how their mental health has suffered in recent years. Why do you feel that coach well-being in comparison has been neglected and why has that situation been allowed to arise? I'm not sure it's been neglected as such. Um, I think it's only in recent years that we've suddenly started to see athletes and performers as people. Uh, and I think now that we've done that, we're really starting to wrap things around to make sure that that person is looked after. And coaching is all about the right, right environment. So we've got psychologists, nutritionists, um, you know, that, that sort of athlete support personnel that we wrap around the athlete. And I think what we probably need to start thinking about now is that actually coaches are people too. And how do we wrap the same sort of support differently uh, around the coach? You know, if you work for a a financial organization, you've got a head of people and culture or, or HR, and th there's certain things in place in your work environment. Well, that shouldn't be any different from our sector. And I think maybe our sector, there's a bit of catching up to do, but it's twee, isn't it? But people are your greatest asset. And the more that we can look after people, and more we can make the environment the right environment, the more people are going to succeed. So neglected, maybe not deliberately, but maybe accidentally. But I do think we need to look at, you know, people and not just coaches, but chief executives, you know, administrators, other people that are involved in the system, how do we also protect them? And if you reflect on, say, the last five years or so, you could go back further if you wish, how do you feel that the issues affecting coaches in terms of their mental health and well-being have evolved? Or is it simply the case that coaches are better now at reporting if they have an issue and there's perhaps those support networks that you described around coaches? What are your reflections on any trends you might have seen? I think it's societal. I, I think things move on, don't they? They evolve. And I think, you know, just like the athletes are more prepared to speak out, I think coaches uh, are now starting to speak out. And we've seen that recently. And I think as long as people speak out, they should be acknowledged that that's quite a brave thing to do. Because maybe if we go back a, 
couple of decades, you know, speaking out in a workplace to say that you weren't on top of it, it might have been seen as you couldn't do your job. Where actually, it's a it's a cry for help. And I think people talking about it more, there's more chance that we're going to do something with it and recognise it. And I think societal sort of movement is that we're starting to acknowledge that, actually. We're starting to say, actually, yeah, you know, this person's come out with a genuine concern. What can we do to, to make that right? So it's fair to say that things are trending in the right direction at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're trending in the right direction. Have we moved quick enough? Possibly not. I, I think to your point that a number of athletes have come out and said, you know, I struggled. We're now starting to see coaches coming out and saying I'm struggling. So what can we do quicker to make sure that we put the right support around those people? And to ask a more specific question, do you feel that there is a difference between coping with and managing mental health issues at work? Yeah. Um, you know, to speak honestly, we, we all tread, I think, a finer line than maybe social media might portray. You know, we're, we're all in and out of a state of mental health and well-being. Uh, and I, I guess if you get to the wrong side of this, I talk about walking the sunny side of the street. You know, I spend most of my time walking on the sunny side of the street. Every now and again, things go wrong and you end up in a stressful position. And and as long as you can manage that and you have the skills and the support around you to manage that situation and you cross back over to the sunny side, it's when you get caught on the dark side and can't get yourself out. And that's when you need the help. And sometimes people aren't always and you're not always in the right place to ask for that help. So it's why we need a, a network of people, a wider coaching team, if you like, that can spot signs. And, and that's all down to I think education uh, and understanding what signs might look like and what changes in behavior manifest themselves that, that makes you think, mm, actually, you know, Mark might just need a bit of help right now. And how much of an issue is job insecurity? So here at the Leaders Performance Institute, for example, we talk with the people who attend our events and contribute to our content. We talk about processes and systems that help you to be your best when the game comes at the weekend or the Olympics come, Paralympics, whatever the competition happens to be. But there's obviously a focus on outcomes as well. And a few bad results could see you out of your job if you're a football coach, for example. How much of an issue is job insecurity when talking about anxiety in a sporting context with work with around coaches and the experience they have day to day, I guess? Wow. Football's pretty unique, right? I mean, the, the, the culture in the country, the fan base... The investors, the pressure is pretty high profile. You are a pretty public facing individual if you're working in, in the world of football. Other sports, not, not as much, but are the systems in place? There are systems in place, but they're not consistent. So depending on the sport that you're in, you're treated differently as a coach, as a, as a head coach. And that's borne down by external pressures. And I, I don't think the system necessarily is good enough. So we have a lot of coaches. We have more coaches now come to us on a regular basis. We probably have one or two mainly elite performance coaches come to us in a month now around issues of pressure, well-being. Some of them might be contracts. So in the world of employment, you know, if you're two years into a role, it's pretty much your role. But we've got fixed term contracts for three, four years or, or less or termination clauses in contracts. So one of the service we, we offer is that we look at employment contracts when coaches come to us to, to check them and challenge them to make sure that they're fair and they're equal. So there's employment issues, there's performance issues. And, you know, that's when some of the, the, the mental health and well-being that we see is the pressure on the individual. So if you've got pressure from the board, if you've got pressure from the leadership and the management, if you've got pressure from the fans, you know, we all thrive in a, in a healthy environment. And if the environment is, for want of a better description, aggressive, potentially toxic, you are not 
going to be in your best place to, to thrive. That doesn't work for an athlete. Why is it going to work for a coach? How you change that culture and particularly, you know, in, in a public sport like football is quite challenging. What I will say is that a number of the clubs are really starting to look at it seriously and they are taking action around abuse from fans. They are looking into, you know, wider sort of uh, incrimination. I'm going to say it, that, and forgive me because I'm in a media studio, but, but the press sometimes don't help. You know, it's a tough gig and we need to give people a bit more support. Uh, and sometimes it's too little too late. That said, if you're employed in a high performance role and things don't go right and you have got the right envir environment, then you've got to accept, you know, that sometimes it doesn't always work out. You touched on it a moment ago, Mark, about athlete well-being being maybe more highly reported versus coach well-being. One sort of episode of coach well-being going wrongly or being a negative thing, I guess, was when Graham Potter came out and said that he received death threats after a string of bad results when he was Chelsea manager earlier this year. I know that you commented and were asked to comment by BBC Five Live on that episode. And I think maybe slightly after that had happened, maybe when he sadly lost his job from, from the Chelsea managerial position. Could you just sort of summarise what, what you said and your kind of observations on that whole saga when he was kind of I guess, derailing at Chelsea from a mental health and well-being perspective. Yeah, I, I guess there's, there's two things. There's, you know, he obviously raised the flag when things were too much. And I wonder whether we could have done something earlier. And it goes back to my earlier point about environment. You know, if you're in the right environment, and I can't possibly comment on his situation because I'm not privy to that sort of information, but setting the right environment for everyone to succeed is a critical and it's not just the athlete, because if everything around the athlete isn't working for the support personnel, then that is going to manifest itself in ultimately on the team and uh, on the athlete. The fan base stuff and, you know, the, the material that's written, well, I don't know how you get to that, but that needs to be dealt with and that needs to be addressed as a, as a kind of separate thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's threats, it's criminal, uh, and that's how it should be treated, in my opinion. But I suppose it's back to the point. If you take on a full-time sort of forward-facing public role, you need to have the support and the mechanisms and the training right from the off. And I'm not saying that he didn't, but how do you deal with that? So, you know, we give an athlete, psychologist, do we give a coach access to psychologist? So it's it's that sort of supporting everybody equally. And I'm not sure the system is balanced at the moment. One thing that springs to mind there just about environment is the England men's cricket team who I think over the last year have experienced a drastic sort of turnaround in performances and results. And I think a lot of people put that down to the environment, new coach, new captain, and they've essentially tried to remove this idea about the fear of failure and, you know, don't worry about the result. Let's just kind of focus on the process and, you know, stick to your strengths kind of thing. Don't worry about trying to I don't know, maybe have a flawless batting technique, you know, stick to what you're good at. Don't worry about losing your wicket. And, you know, the results speak for themselves. I think the team have gone on a run where they've won 11 out of 12 games. So how much can be said, generally speaking, from a high performance perspective in terms of, you know, setting an environment that's maybe a little bit more relaxed and trying to remove that fear of failure when it comes to trying to, I guess, alleviate any sort of mental health and well-being issues that might surface? Wasn't it Mike Tyson that said everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face? I, I think what we've got to accept is that aspirations for performance are a collective. They, they can't be down to one athlete, one team. It, it's a whole organisational aspiration. And sometimes things go wrong. The key to great coaching is reflection 
and reflecting on what could we have done differently, what could we have done better. But great coaching, as I said, is, is about a team thing. It's a collective thing. So it's not an individual saying, we should have done this. It's about having a conversation, particularly in performance sport, because the people that are in performance that are doing it will often know more about the coach who's who's done the work they've done and watched and now perform. It's a two-way conversation. It's a two-way relationship. And the plan might need to be tweaked. And one of the worst things is if the plan isn't working is is sticking to that plan. You know, that's like trying to educate a bunch of kids. They're not getting there. You've got to change your tactic. So fluidity is important. And that's one of the coaching philosophies, that, that kind of reflection time, reviewing where we've got to, what could go better, what could we do next, what have we learned. I think it was the New Zealand rugby team that when they were bombed out of the World Cup at the time and they flew back into um, wherever they flew back into, and I, I don't think that anybody went home. I think they basically booked a hotel, is my recollection, and they all went and sat in a, in a room for 24 hours just to debrief, to go, okay, so how have we got this this wrong? But they all did it. You know, it wasn't the coach that went away into a, a dark room on their own. It was the whole collective that said, right, we're going to do this. We want to just spend 24 hours getting ahead around this. So it's about a, a plan that everybody's bought into. It's about understanding what that means. It's understanding the scenarios. What if it goes wrong? How do we deal with it? What's the So it's all that philosophy, those behaviours. And all of those things ought to be set out at the beginning because then everybody knows what the aspiration is. Everybody's clear. It's It's when it's not clear and when the things go wrong. That's when people really tro- show their true colours, right? When things go wrong. When we're all under pressure, how do we stay strong and, and keep to the philosophies and the behaviours that we've set out at the beginning? That's when it matters. So we've established where we are on the topic. You've given some examples already, Mark. I guess the next logical discussion area to move on to is how to actually identify a mental health and wellbeing issue that coaches may have. So with that in mind, I'm keen to understand what the the less recognisable symptoms of a mental health and wellbeing problem might be. You know, what are the less visible signs, I guess, and what you'd advise other coaches working in high performance to be wary of with, with those two things in mind? From a coach's point of view. From a coach's point of view, yeah. We're not the experts, that's the first thing, but we do work with experts. So we worked, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we've worked with mind to understand what that looks like. And most part, there are visible signs. So it's mainly change in behaviour. So people might become more irritable, they might become short-tempered, they might go really quiet and siloed. So most of those signs, it's a change in behaviour from the norm of that person. And those can then become more extreme. So I, I think those are the things that if they're on a consistent basis and there is a change, that's when people should be able to see those signs. But again, it's it's around education. It's not just the education of an athlete or the coach, it's the whole coaching team, because there should be a mechanism where there's almost like peer support. So if everybody's clear what mental health and wellbeing looks like, or when it goes wrong, and what the signs are, that's when obviously people can help out. And some of that's about, hey, you know, are you okay? Are you really okay? But some of it's about saying, look, I think you might need some extra support here, uh, and looking at what that looks like. And that's usually when you start to escalate into more expert support. Mark, you've spoken about teams having plans, and you've spoken about the ability of coaches to self-reflect. Is part of it accepting that there will be hardships? 
in the inevitable course of high performance that some days or some weeks you might be 80-20 in the wrong direction. You might be under stress far more than you're guarding your well-being. Where does the balance need to sit or is it an acknowledgement that sport is hard and there will be better moments and worse moments, I guess? Well, I think, you can, I think everyone's going to have good and bad days. Sometimes it goes right, sometimes it doesn't. But I think it's back to those core principles and if the plan that everybody's bought into is the plan that's delivered against and it doesn't work that's no one person's fault that's a collective so it's that really I think is is setting out the plan at the beginning now you shouldn't stay with the plan if you think it's not right because you might need to address it so I don't know mid-season things are not not quite going to plan you might want to revisit where you are but I think it's about everybody's buying everybody's collective buying for a coach coaches are genuinely there to help people to be the best that they can be in the performance but coaches will also take it personally as well in that they'll take it and think well is it me is it I've I've not done this have I not thought this through enough and that's where sometimes I think coaches need to bounce their ideas across a wider team and and make sure that people feel that they can speak up and that it is a safe place to speak up and go do you know what Mark I I get what you're saying here but we you know we as a collective team think this and it might be the coach as well I've heard you but I want to do this and see how we go but I think if people are all bought in then I think you're on the same journey and I think that's what's key is traveling that journey together as soon as it becomes isolated or an individual's aspiration or an individual's vision and that's that's sometimes where we get it wrong in coaching I can talk to this because uh, I was a wannabe rugby player, didn't get there. You know, I started coaching. I was actually a teacher as well. But had I put my aspirations to be a successful rugby player into, you know, the under nines, it's it's a real disconnect because the under nines might just want to hang out with their mates and play a game of rugby. And I I think sometimes we've got to make sure that the coach is really self-reflective and they can look at themselves and say, well, actually, what is my motivation? And therefore, where should I be positioned in the the scheme of things, um, because often you'll get a performance aspirational coach working with maybe some community sports and they don't necessarily match up. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying I think we sometimes need to be able to say, well, actually, this group of under nines want to just play and I, I need to take my aspirational hat off as a coach and facilitate them having fun so that they continue the journey in that sport. Because I think sometimes we get that wrong. We, we go from play to competitive sport and I think there's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle and uh, that that is a bit of self-reflection on the coach to go well actually what is my motivation yeah we, we have a thing on our website called the uh, coach learning framework and one of the self the, the first things is self-review really understanding ourselves and well, what's our motivation why are we coaching because that's something that a lot of coaches don't think always ask themselves you know especially Myself, you know, as a dad, when my kids were playing sport, I'd get asked, would you like to come along and help out? And would you like to coach? Well, yeah, sure. But I really thought through it. Anyone said to me, okay, so why do you want to coach? And actually, what does that mean about your coaching philosophy? We, we, we sometimes just jump straight into coaching and we then coach the way that maybe we were coached 15, 20, 25 years ago. And things have moved on. You know, kids today are very different. Um, and they'll they'll tell you as well. And and if they don't tell you, they'll they'll vote with their feet. So I think we've got to do a little bit around, okay, so what does it mean to be a coach? And what are you, you know, what are your values? What's your aspirations? What's your motivations? Because I think if you can get yourself into that space, you're very clear then about where you fit in the scheme of things. And then that can be, you know, managed properly uh, with the team that you're trying to look after or I think you're trying to look after. And you can more readily identify a purpose as a coach. I think so, yeah. It's your contribution. You know, I, I, I dabbled with lots of different sports when I was coaching and, um, I did work in a performance system and decided, actually, that's I, I just 
love coaching kids and watching them grow not even the sport you know just them as people uh, young people their confidence growing their decision making their thought processes their interaction their social skills you could argue now that the art of communication has just died with everything in technology for this next generation so actually getting them onto the pitch getting them to hang out have fun communicate talk to each other the highs the lows work things out you know that it's a sport and physical activity like music and the arts is just a, a beautiful forum for people to develop at whatever age whatever level and if we can get coaching right and help develop the person first in that forum then then it's good you know if someone wants to be an olympic athlete they're pretty motivated you know sometimes the hard bit is actually pulling them back as a coach so sometimes i think we try and motivate too much as coaches when actually the motivation is probably already there and we need to nurture it and develop them to their aspirations as opposed to delivering on them our previous aspirations or current aspirations as a coach mark another area i imagine you and the team at uk coaching spend quite a lot of time thinking about is prevention so this idea of trying to create an optimal space for coaches so that mental health and well-being is protected to minimize the chance of uh, an issue surfacing so trying to i guess tackle the problem before it becomes a problem so taking that into account what can coaches do to safeguard their mental health and well-being a lot of the basics of coaching is about planning it's about timing it's about understanding the, the bigger plan and it's about education you know so there's a multitude of things that put pressure on a coach most of it is events you know if you're if you're a coach at the local club how do you deal with parents you know that's not necessarily in the coaching manual that you might be given by a technical sport but it's something that's really important and if you get it wrong it can cause you quite a lot of angst as a coach so you know how do you educate yourself better to to work with parents and there are a number of providers uh, we've linked with parents in sport an organization uh, who looks at well what does it mean and it's actually a, an ex-teacher who set himself up to say actually the biggest sort of challenge to me as a teacher was working with the parents and trying to run the rugby club so actually what does that look like in real terms so i think learning is a really important thing for a coach uh, and that ongoing learning and development so I think there's an onus on coaches to keep themselves current, you know, what's topical, what can they do to keep themselves ahead of the curve. But there's also an important bit about the system. You know, we've seen quite a lot of recent reports where coaches will have been accused or accusations made against coaches. And, and the person that seems to be at the end of the queue in terms of support is the coach. So the athlete's protected, the coach is put out on the sideline, and then there's a whole process that goes on. But actually, the last person that kind of gets looked after is the coach. Uh, and that's why we've established the service that we have, you know, so we are that go to to say, if you're in a, a spot of bother, right or wrong, we will take you through that service. We'll, we'll help you uh, with professional support to help you understand what, what's going to happen and when and how. We've become much more of a voice of the coach and we are working with other system partners to make sure that the systems are improved. You know, if you have a problem in your particular sport, the way that you're dealt with might be different in one sport to another. And actually that needs systemizing. Um, so one of the things that we're challenging is, well, what does that system look like? You know, and, and how do we help and support the coach whilst the, the British Elite Athlete Association helps and supports the athlete and the national governing body is supported by the Sport Integrity Union? You know, how does that whole system connect? Because at the moment it doesn't. It doesn't treat everybody equally. And one of the things that we're championing is, well, actually... Coach is a person too, and whatever the outcome is the outcome through an investigation. But in the meantime, someone should be there to support them equally as 
someone with the athlete or the governing body. You touched on it there in terms of different sports having different issues and, and sort of, I guess, having different systems in place to address mental health and wellbeing issues. Is there a particular sport that you could highlight or pinpoint that you think is perhaps leading the way when it comes to addressing these issues? That's a really good question. Uh, and I probably couldn't pinpoint an individual sport. I know that a number of sports work more closely with us. I know that some sports have worked directly with mind. I do think it's a hot topic and it's not a hot topic because people are going, oh, we need to do something. I think it's because people genuinely care and the more proactive sports you'll have seen developing learning and development to look around that. I think football, actually, as, as much as we, you know, we're quite quick to jump on football, I think they've done a lot. The, the leagues are looking at looking after people holistically. I, I do think they are starting to really take some some action. I mean, it was it was great that the club jumped to say, well, we'll do everything we can to support Graham Potter. But I, I and I think more and more coaches are, are sort of raising their hands to say, look, I need a bit of help here. And I think people are starting to go, okay, yeah, we understand this. That said, I, I also think it's incumbent upon coaches to protect themselves. The right learning, the right development will often, as you said earlier, it won't manifest itself until the end if you don't do it. So rather than treating the outcome, let's look at well, what caused that and what learning can we take and what can we put in place by system or education that prevents that happening again. One of the biggest things that we see at the moment is shouting. One of the biggest complaints that we see about coaches is shouting. And when we've interviewed different coaches about this, it's not that they're shouting because they've got a problem it's because that's how they were coached and that's how they think maybe that motivational sort of for young people now works and it doesn't you know most of young people will work work differently to what they did 10 15 20 years ago and actually it's about encouragement shouting volume as opposed to criticism shouting volume and for most part we see prolonged poor practice manifesting itself as opposed to intent you know, most of the people that coach want to give something back because they had a good experience or they got something out of it when they went through it. But I think sometimes we just got to make sure that language and I think actually Scott Han, uh, I listened to his podcast with you guys a couple of weeks ago and he talked about language. It's it's super critical language and tone, you know, shouts of encouragement is one thing. Shouts of, of criticism is, is something different. So I, I think we've got to look at, you know, what does the behaviour of a great coach look like and what is great coaching in terms of your philosophy? You mentioned it there. We had Scott on the on the podcast not too long ago and he, he said the role of the coach was essentially to guide the athletes and to almost be a bit of a soundboard for them. Crucially, he said that the role of the coach isn't to try and give specialist advice or try and deliver anything practically when it comes to mental health and well-being because they they haven't got the expertise to do that. But he said it's very much a case of, you know, almost being a bit of a soundboard for them, listening to, to what they have to say and, and taking that all in and then, I guess, referring them to the right people that, that can actually practically help. Is that something, I guess, that, that chimes with you at UK Coaching in terms of, you know, someone, um, an individual coach might come to you, you guys, and say, look, I've, I've got this issue or I'm suffering with this you know how can you help me I know you mentioned earlier on about mind and you working closely with them so is it a case of coach comes to you with a problem you then sort of digest that and make the the necessary recommendations as you see yeah I mean there's, there's lots of different avenues into us in terms of coaches we've, we've got some world-class coach developers that work on our staff we've also got some 
highly proficient sort of people and culture, HR support mechanisms. So it, depending on the problem, we will triage a concern or, or the situation. But we've we've got a pretty good follow-up system to make sure that we can help coaches understand where they're at. So sometimes they'll come to us with discussion. Sometimes we'll have a coach contact us about another coach. You know, so so it's definitely building. There's definitely a word and mouth thing going on out there that we're starting to provide more support. The important bit for us, though, at UK Coaching is not us being the solution. It's also us helping other organisations and particularly governing bodies of sport improve their systems and processes that they can support their workforce. So not all roads lead to UK Coaching. Some of our work is about policy and system building as well. So, yes, absolutely there for the coach. But also we'll take some of that learning and we'll apply that to some of the organisations that we work with to say, look, these are things that might need improving. You know, this needs to be more timely or this is an issue that we're seeing across your sport. You know, there's something building here in your sport specifically. So we're just giving you a heads up to understand that and they will then sort of work with us to try and remedy that. Could you share maybe a a bit about some of the work you're doing with one of those organizations one of those governing bodies i think it'd just be useful for our listeners to understand and and almost get into um the mind of of how you guys work and and who you specifically are working with we work across something like 240 different organizations to varying varying levels you know ice hockey has just come on as as a partner of ours who weren't funded by government at the point i think they might be now but they, they've done a, a huge amount of work to look after their coaching workforce and in particular, the education of their workforce. So what they've seen is they've seen some of the situations and some of the outcomes uh, or some of the events that have manifest themselves. They've come to us and said, look, you know, this is what's happened. What could we put in place to prevent that? Uh, and some of it is about actually making their coaching workforce more skilled, more knowledgeable so that some of the events don't happen that then put stress on the coach so some of this is about preventative stuff in education some of it's about system um, but they're probably a pretty good case study to look at a sport that's not necessarily one of your high mainstream sports but you know really taking some proactive work to look after their coaching workforce mark before we conclude the episode i've got a, a quick fire round of questions for you um, so these are questions about you more broadly and lean more towards leadership characteristics and sort of general habits. So looking for one word or one sentence answers, if possible. Ready? Go for it. First sporting memory or live sporting event you attended? Rugby. Early mornings or late nights? More recently, early mornings, but in my youth, definitely late nights. <laughs> what does the first hour of the day hold for you? Uh, thinking time, reflection time. What do you do to de-stress? Physical activity, bike, run, swim. One word or phrase to describe your personal leadership style? People. A soft skill you're keen to develop or improve on in 2023? Articulation of vision. A trend across the high performance space you've been monitoring closely? Mm. Success. I I will give you a little bit more on that. What is success? And and I'll give a really good example. So we've talked about people that are under stress that things don't go right for. Stuart Lancaster, great example. So Went over to Leinster, knocked it out of the park. I think he's off to Racine 92. But there's a really great story there of somebody that was probably under the most stress I, you know, I can imagine being the height of rugby in, in England and it not going to plan, but actually gathering their thoughts, re-establishing, going over to Ireland, working in an environment that is the right environment for the coach as well. Great support for that person. Fans absolutely wrapped around the, the culture of... Leinster rugby and the guys thrived in in the right role 
So, you know, to bounce back from what was, to, that's a great success story. So, and that's what I mean. It's not just success, but it's the journey to success. And I think that's a really great story. Certainly is. It's a timely one as well, because uh, John and I are hoping to speak to Stuart on the podcast in the not too distant future. So listen out for that one if we manage to get him on. Last question, uh, or last couple of questions, sorry. Best leadership advice you've ever been given? I think you're there to set the environment for people to succeed. Highlights of your career so far? Many, many moons ago when I was a teacher, I've worked with lots of different kids with lots of different challenges. And I worked with a young guy, Jonathan, I won't say his last name, but I'm probably talking 30 years ago. And when I got this role, it it must have come up on some sort of feed. Uh, And this guy contacted me and said, look, you're not even going to remember me. But this many years ago, I was on this camp and you were one of the coaches there. And this is where I was then, and this is where I am now. And this this guy's done super well, really successful. And for the fact that someone, nearly 25 years on it was, contacted me and said, look, here's where I'm at, and this is because of you. I put myself in this role because if I can make one coach change one life, I've given back what happened to me. It's a personal journey that changed my life. And I think if I can do that for other coaches to do that for other people, then that's what it is. Last one. If you can impose one development on sports top down, what sports would that be? What's sport specific? Yes, if possible. Cool. Quite pointed. I'm not going to go sport. I'm going to go kids. If we can change the focus on coaching kids to coach the person in front of you, as opposed to coaching the sport or the tactical aspect... I think that's what I would ask for uh, or, or I would suggest that we need to focus on because it's it's about develop coaching. It's right back to where we started. Coaching is a people craft and most people that take part in this activity in sport are motivated for lots of different reasons, but they're motivated themselves. And our job is exactly what Scott Hand said to facilitate them. You know, two ears, two ears, one mouth. And that's that's what coaching should be. And it's not. It's usually the other way around. Some strong answers there, Mark. Thank you very much. That's the end of the quickfire round. I want to turn the clocks forward now. So a year on from now, where would you like the narrative around mental health and well-being to be? That we've got a consistent system across all sports, all activities that supports all personnel. I think I'm not saying it's wrong, but we're very focused on the athletes still. And actually, it's that whole collective team effort. So where's the support for the rest of the team as well? And I guess just off the back of that, what gives you causes for optimism for us to hopefully achieve that? Well, I think because we're talking about it and I think it's it's in the public eye. And I think actually we do really care about people. I think when it really boils down to it, we are, you know, we're human. We care about people. So it's about how do we do that? Somebody actually said to me, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is kind of understanding someone's got a problem. Empathy is doing something about it. So I I think we're at a point where we need to be more empathetic to understand that stuff happens and people do struggle and we we are closer to the line than than we think but when it does you know get to the point where someone needs help we can identify it and then we've got the right systems and processes to make sure that we can address it. Mark thanks for coming in and for speaking so openly about such an important and prevalent topic area. It's something we're trying to shine more of a light on here at the Leaders Performance Institute across our content and in our event program. And as you mentioned, I I think the more conversations we can have about it now, the better we'll be moving forward. So thank you very much for coming in. Yeah, thank you both very much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.